If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. Thank you so much. And uh, please open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua 24 is our passage of Scripture this morning. So open up your Bibles or your phones to Joshua 24. And let's, let's read God's Word together as a church. The title of the message this morning is, We Will Serve the Lord, and it's part two from the message we had last week in our Seeing Christ in All of Scripture series in the book of Joshua. So Joshua chapter 24, let's begin reading in verse one. Let's read God's word together. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders and heads the judges and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. And Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built. And you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who who did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and His voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was in the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. After these things, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem. In the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money, it became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, the his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. Again, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your holy word and for the power of your word to transform our lives. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Hearing by the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would bring forth faith as we hear your word this morning. Cause our faith in Christ and our love for him to increase as a result of us being together here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I've got three points from the text this morning. Uh, Number one, credit God. Credit God. Number two, fear God. And number three, choose God. Credit God, fear God, choose God. 
let's look at the first point, the first point, credit God. You see in this entire first section of this last chapter of Joshua, Joshua just exercising again great leadership in gathering all of the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And uh, he gathered them before God and, and said to all the people the words of the Lord. It's It's so interesting here what God actually says to his people. He he gives a history of all that he had done to save his people out of Egypt by his powerful might, and also how he preserved his people and brought them into the promised land. And God keeps just repeating that I'm the one that has done this for you. We've seen it as a theme throughout the book of Joshua, the phrase that God repeats over and over again, I have fought for you, Israel. The reason why you are where you are is because I have fought for you. And you see that in this entire first section of Scripture. You see it in verse 3 when he says, I took your father Abraham. And he mentions in verse 2 that before that they had served other gods. But I took your father Abraham and brought him. And, and, and you see this again and again, there's this repetition. And then all the way down in verse 12, you see sort of this phrase that really encapsulates just that when it comes to our salvation and the salvation of the people of Israel, this phrase in verse 12 is so, so instructive. Look at 12b. It was not by your sword or by your bow. What a, what a worthy verse to meditate on in our Christian life. It was not by our sword or, or by our bow. You see in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. There's this emphasis all the way from Genesis through to Revelation on that our salvation really is from the Lord. And it's important for us to take that to heart and to really give credit to God for what he has done. It's a worthy meditation. And remember, one of the things that we've really looked at in the book of Joshua, our church memory verse for this book of the Bible has been Joshua 1.8. Do not let the book of this law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be quick to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. We looked at that word meditate in the Hebrew and how it actually talks about that meditation is, it really means to, to muse, to think deeply about, but also to, to utter or to mutter even out loud or just under your breath the promises of God so that they matriculate down deep into your soul and can change your out of attitude and outlook. To meditate on the word is different and special compared to just simply reading the word quickly. To meditate means to slow down and to think deeply. And what a worthy meditation it is for us to recognize that it was not by our sword or by our bow. It was not by our power and might that we are here this morning but it's because of God's power and might that we're here worshiping this morning. And if you are a believer in Christ, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you are saved. And you and I have been so blessed, 
haven't we, by Jesus Christ. And if we are in fact saved, let us, as Charles Spurgeon once said, if you are saved, credit God, for it is entirely his doing. Amen. It was not by your sword or by your bow. Think deeply about that, brothers and sisters. It was not by your power. It was not by your might or my might. It's by God's spirit that we are saved and that we are alive. That was true. That's true of the Israelites, and that's true of the people of God in the new covenant, his church as well. Psalm 44 verse 3 says, For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. God is the one who gets the glory for our deliverance as his people. Amen? And not us. And God's jealous for that. He deserves that credit. And so let us delight to give him that credit. We should always give God the praise that he deserves. And it starts really by crediting him with the very beginning of our salvation, with him choosing us. Look at what uh, John 15 verse 16 says. Very, very clear in Scripture. Jesus says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. It's so important to remember where the credit belongs in our salvation it can be a very pride swallowing thing for us to need to consider but it's a meditation that really does us good to take it to heart god is the reason we are saved and as we meditate on that it leads to humility it means it leads to gratitude and worship and the praise of god you see again and again in this section where he he just talks about your ancestors served foreign gods, but I took your father Abraham and made his offspring many, the word says. I gave him Isaac. I gave Jacob and Esau to Isaac. I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it and brought you out. Again and again, God highlights himself, his own activity and salvation, and the Israelite, the Israelites are simply the recipients of his power, of his favor, and of his saving grace. It's important to always take this to heart, brothers and sisters. God has designed our salvation in such a way as to leave no room for human boasting. Remember what Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Christians, mark you, we should be boasters. Christians should be boasters, but they should boast only in the cross of Christ. And they should boast only in the Lord. I love this verse of scripture. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this. That he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So boast, but boast in the Lord. And Galatians 6.14 says, may I never boast 
except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 17, the word of God says, For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went. So you see, not only did he save them, but he also preserved them. I preserved you in all the way that you went. It's so good to know that not only does God save us, but he preserves us. Isn't it, brothers and sisters? He keeps us by his grace. He never lets go like we looked at last week. And verse 18 says, And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. They're in Shechem, and they are settled in the promised land. So God has brought forth his promise faithfully to his people, and he brought them safely home into the promised land, safely settled there. Glory be to God. He is the one, God is, who sent his only son to die on the cross and rise from the dead for us. And he is the one who made us alive in Christ, as Ephesians 2 says, even when we were dead in our sins. God's the one who has saved us. He is the one who has preserved us, beloved. And God is the one who has brought us safe and will bring us safe into the promised land, just like he brought Israel safely home into the promised land. And so, let the phrase off our lips be the great Latin phrase in the heart cry of the Reformation, soli deo gloria. Glory to God alone. Let us credit God for what he has done in our life as Joshua leads the people of Israel and as the Lord speaks to his people. It must be very important to God that we credit him for what he's done and see all of his activity that he has done and that it was not by our power, but by his power that we're saved for him to spend so much time elaborating on this to his people. We should take that to heart. This is not just sort of a, Ah, you know, it's not that big of a deal whether to credit God or not for salvation. It it matters to God, and therefore it should matter to us. Let's look at point two. Fear God. Fear God. I want to highlight here uh, verse 14. So if you look in verse 14 again. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And here's a manifestation of the fearing of God in this context. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Joshua had just reminded the people of Israel how their fathers worshipped false gods before he took hold of them and saved them. And here Joshua is talking to the Israelites as they're heading into their future and he's commanding them to fear the Lord. One of the manifestations of fearing the Lord is seen here in the second half of the verse. We are to put away the gods that our fathers served. As we look back even in past generations in our lives, our fathers, our grandfathers, our lineage. If we look back, we have stories of the empty way of life passed on to us by our forefathers, the New Testament says. And we are to turn away from the false gods 
even of those who have come before us and to serve the Lord, to forsake false gods and to actively serve the Lord. It's a constant command throughout Joshua chapter 24. And and we learn a key principle here for the life of a believer. Even as the chosen people of God, saved by grace, there is an ever-living call, an ever-living call to put away the gods that our fathers served and that we worshipped before salvation came to us. It's ever-living. We never want to talk about salvation as one of those things of like, oh yeah, I believed in Jesus all those years ago, but I'm not really thinking about following him now. We always want to be thinking right now in the present, God, where do I need to put away the gods that I had served in the past before I was saved and that still ensnare me as we even heard from the ministry, Mike, this morning. Help me, God, to break free from those chains and do everything I can to walk in the freedom that Christ has bought for me. Hebrews 12 makes it clear that we are to throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that clings so closely. J.C. Ryle, a pastor in England in the 1800s, once said that sin and I must quarrel if God and I are to be friends. I love that phrase, don't you? It's a really, there's got to be a constant fighting with and a contention against our remaining indwelling sin. And there's an ever-living call. There's a call to me today, CB, put away the gods that your father served beyond the river. Remember, they're here. They're safely settled now in the promised land. God's telling them, I've I've saved you. And he's telling them all this. And he's saying, there's an active present call, put away. Put away. So brothers and sisters, let us live in that active call. You see this also during the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther, when he nailed the 95 Theses to the uh, church door in Wittenberg. What he wrote for his first Theses on the door of the Wittenberg Castle was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, quote, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. Our entire life. I'm repenting every day, brothers and sisters, for areas of sin that I still see that cling so closely in my life. And Joshua 24 exhorts us to to live that way. And, And what this, again, it speaks to is there's to be an active and a living faith. And an active and a living killing of the false gods and a destroying of them, a casting of them into the fire and a and a fresh commitment, really. Every day, like the Apostle Paul says, I die daily and take up my cross and follow Jesus. Here in Joshua 24, he says, yeah, put away the false gods that you once worshipped. Does that describe the, the, the nature of your Christian life as you're kind of interacting with the Lord? That should be the type of dynamic that we see in our hearts our lives should be marked as the text here says by sincerity and faithfulness and we should walk in the fear of the lord often we just by way of practical application we pursue dreams and desires that are not worthy of the gospel they are not worthy of the lord 
and they do not demonstrate denying ourselves and taking up the cross and following Jesus. Fearing God in part means fearing, ever allowing ourselves to become ensnared with the gods of this age in such a way that it hinders us from serving God in sincerity and in faithfulness. We should work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Philippians says, and and we should shun all evil, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil, the wisdom scriptures tell us. We should burn with a passion to bring Christ's glory in our thoughts and in our words and in our deeds and serve Him and not serve the God of self. To have no other gods before Him or beside Him. To not serve any other God but Him. As the Lord said, you cannot serve both God and money. There's a principle. You cannot have something side by side with God because that other thing will take precedence and will be the number one spot. 1 John 5.21 says this, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's talking to the church. It's talking to us. 1 Samuel 12.24 says, Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. When you consider the great things God has done for you, it should lead to a healthy reverence and an awe, and yes, a fear of Him that causes us to tremble at ever, ever displeasing Him and hurting His heart and grieving His spirit. Joshua 24, if you look down in verse 19 and 20, the word says, but Joshua said to the people, look at that, you are not able to serve the Lord for He is a holy God. The fear of God remembers that God is a holy God. The fear of God also remembers what 19 says here. He is a jealous God. And then brothers and sisters, this next little stretch right here, 19b and 20, we can't just kind of just blow past this. We have to look at this and stare it down and, and really tremble before God's word when it speaks to us in this way. Because Joshua is speaking to the people of God. He's speaking to Israel. And he says this to them. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Look at verse 20, and here's the situation. If you forsake the Lord, and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. There's many of us, if we didn't meditate on that passage and didn't read it in the Word and come under it with fear and trembling, I I know many of us just instinctively, if we just kind of heard someone say that and hear, hear someone say those words, somebody could be tempted to say, that's not my God. Not my God. My God's a God of grace. He's never going to ever have a problem with me, even in my struggle with sin. Verses like that are meant to cause us to fear the Lord. They're meant to cause us to check our souls and not to walk cavalierly through the Christian life, but very carefully. If we forsake the Lord as... Proverbs 13.5 says, the way of transgressors is hard. 
The NIV says, but the way of the unfaithful leads to their destruction. I want to reckon with that for my own life. And I want to, as Isaiah 66.2 says, and I want to commend this scripture to all of us in the fear of the Lord. Look at what God says. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. When we come up on a scripture like this in Joshua 24, can I ask you, do you, do you quickly just blow past it and just, ah, I don't want to think about that? Or do you allow the word to just kind of sit upon you, meditate, not just on all the happy verses that are just easy to immediately take in and drink in, but to allow a word like this to just sit on you and actually cause you to tremble. Is trembling before the word something that characterizes you and me, brothers and sisters? That This is something that God says, this is the one to whom I will look. This is the man, this is the woman to whom I will look. One who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Oh, yes, the fear of God certainly means a holy reverence and an awe. And it certainly doesn't mean to fear Him in a way to where we are just in this kind of slavish fear of God. But brothers and sisters, fear and fearing God does mean to fear Him. Look at what Matthew 10.28 says. Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Again, it's, it's another verse of scripture like, whoa, Jesus, whoa. What happened to like gentle Jesus, meek and mild? I want that Jesus from Sunday school back. We've got to have Jesus as he is. And worship him and fall at his feet and you say no other gods before you. There's no other gods before you. And Lord, the, the false gods that remain and the lingering sins in my life, I, God, I want to be aggressive at driving out those Canaanites out of my heart and not keeping them lingering around. And I want to read Matthew 10, 28. And when Jesus says, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell, it's good to fear God. Not all fear is bad fear. This is a good fear. And I walk aware of this. It, it doesn't wage war or undercut my assurance of my salvation by grace. It doesn't undermine what we looked at in the passage last week about God. He clings to us and that's our hope. And he never lets go. But brothers and sisters, there is a walking out our salvation with fear and trembling. There is a rejoicing that He's got hold of us and promises to never let us go. And there's a simultaneous fear of God that we're called to have. A living repentance, a living faith that slays the remaining false gods in our heart that fears God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And a fear of ever as... Joshua says here in this verse, a fear of ever forsaking the Lord and serving foreign gods. I've got a category in my brain. I could see the seeds of it in my heart with my remaining indwelling sin. 
of being one of those who turn away from the Lord and forsake Him after He has been so good to me. And I want to tell you, I fear that. And I fear the consequences of that. Jerry Bridges said, I believe in once saved, always saved. But I don't believe in the unspoken assumption that often comes right after that, which is that it doesn't matter how you live. It does matter how you live, brothers and sisters. And this passage in Joshua is meant to cause us to tremble and say, God, oh, perish the thought that I would ever forsake you and go back to my old life and live in my sin again. I want to be terrified of that. Absolutely terrified. And if there's any degree in our lives as we look now where there's secret sins that we are nurturing or a double life that we are cultivating and we come to church every Sunday and we think everything's okay, but just in private, when no one else is around, God is just far and absent from our thoughts and we are gunning for the world. Friend, I want you to tremble as I tremble. And come to terms with the reality that God wants us to fear Him with a holy fear. Because that's healthy and very pleasing to the Lord. Let us never say, I go to church. I believed in Jesus from the time I was a kid. My parents raised me this way. But in your heart, you're forsaking God. You're following the world. No, let let it be that we serve the Lord in sincerity and in faithfulness. And that we do not forsake our God who has been so good to us. Let Let me say this. All sin can be and will be forgiven in the lives of those who genuinely repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ. No matter what you've done, it can all be forgiven, friend. That's the glorious hope of our Gospel. Let me also say this. What's clear from this text. Unrepentant sin will not be forgiven by God. but rather will be punished by God. The sins of unbelievers in hell are not forgiven sins. They are being punished for those sins. We either are forgiven by God through the blood of Christ and what He's done on the cross. Christ takes the punishment for us on the cross and we believe in Him and cling to Him and and, and not just when we first believe, but our whole life is a life of clinging to Him and loving Him and serving Him in sincerity and faithfulness. That's the path. And listen, we all fall short every day. All of us have remaining indwelling sin in our lives. There's never a day that goes by where I live it out perfectly. But I, I'm so grieved over that. I'm broken over that. And that, that's the evidence of a true child of God. I hate that that's who I am. Do you hate that that's who you are? 
if you really just hate that and find yourself living, just turning to the Lord day after day in brokenness and repentance and fresh faith in the Lord Jesus, that's the life of a real true Christian. But the sin of an unbeliever who forsakes the Lord, and maybe even has a background of religion in their past, but they have forsaken God, they are not following Christ, and they are not serving the Lord. Friend, that person, even if they say, yeah, I believe, should have no assurance that they are saved and are a child of God. Because Jesus says, a good tree will bear good fruit, and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. And where there is just unrepentant sin. And as the phrase came from the ministry, Mike, numerous times, if you notice this from the Holy Spirit this morning, we all struggle with sin. There's a difference between struggling with sin as a believer and practicing sin. Living in sin. Someone who practices sin and lives in sin is not a child of God. And let us all tremble. Let us all see the remaining evil deeds in our heart and say, Oh Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let us cry out with that kind of desperation and that kind of fear of God. Because the Lord will surely forgive us, friend. But let us not ever think it's simply because we come to church and simply because we sing and worship and simply because we've kind of done this all our life or whatever, that we're truly born again. It has to be living in your heart, living faith and living repentance and a living fear of God. Do you have that, my friend? I pray that you do. And let us walk out our salvation together in our local church, clinging to Christ together, desperate for Him together, Desperate, and at the same time, secure. Desperate, but assured. It's possible to live with both of those realities in our soul. It's healthy. Healthy. They don't war against one another. It's not one or the other. It's both. I know that I'm saved. The Spirit of God testifies with my spirit that I'm a child of God. Romans 8, 16. And I know that I know that I know that I'm saved because I have repented of my sins and trusted in Jesus. And I'm walking out my salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in me both the will and the work, His good pleasure. Oh, friends, the way of the transgressors is hard. Oh, let that not be any of us. After all the good that God has done to cast ourselves adrift wander away from the Lord and experience God doing us harm after He had done us good. Oh, that's sobering. That's just a sobering reality. And to think that God makes the way of the transgressor hard so that they'll break and repent and turn back to Him like His people of Israel did. It's even a kindness from God. What you never want to have happen to you is for you to forsake the Lord and God, as Romans 1 says, hands you over. Gives you what you want and doesn't resist you. That is the absolute most terrifying scenario to be in. 
Thank God that he makes the way of the transgressor hard. All of us in this room would have a testimony, some of us, of how God made your way very hard when you turned back toward your sin in the past, even after having believed in the Lord. And you're here this morning worshiping the Lord because God in His kindness never gave up on you, but came after you and made your way hard and covered it with thorns. So that you, like the prodigal, when you're eating the pods of the pigs, would say, what am I doing? And you came to your senses. And by God's grace, you ran back to your heavenly Father. And here you are, accepted and loved forever, living in the fear of God and serving the Lord in sincerity and faithfulness. Can we thank Him for how awesome He's been? Because that's my story. He's been so good. Joshua was so moved by this, and, and the people of Israel say, hey, we're going to serve the Lord. He actually sets up a stone of remembrance to mark the moment, just to help them all fear the Lord. He says, listen, we are witnesses that we've said this, we're going to serve the Lord, and we're setting up this stone here, and it will be, that stone's going to bear witness against us, because we're giving our word here. And there should be this kind of heart amongst us to do whatever it takes to make sure that the urgency of loving the Lord, serving Him in sincerity and faithfulness and fearing Him remains uppermost in our hearts. That stone of remembrance made me think. (laughs) There's another stone that bears witness to us that Christ really has died for our sins and really has risen from the grave. It's the stone in front of Christ's tomb that was rolled away that we're going to celebrate in a number of weeks. That's our stone of remembrance that our sins really have been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And that we are now, though our sins are like scarlet, they've been washed whiter than snow. We are forgiven and cleansed because that stone was rolled away. Praise God and glory to his name. Let's move thirdly and finally to choose God. Choose God. You see in uh, Joshua chapter 24, a little bit further down, it actually talks about that we, uh, Joshua says to the people of God, how can we follow the Lord and choose to serve him? He actually says, incline your heart to the Lord. Incline your heart to the Lord. That word incline in the Hebrew comes from a root meaning to spread out or to stretch, to bend our heart should indeed stretch toward God, spread out toward God like a beautiful flower in the direction of the warm spring sun. When God's Word is preached, we want to be like a flower that that comes alive underneath of the preaching of the Word and that we're hearers of the Word and doers of the Word. And wherever the sun of God's Word is shining, we're like, I love that time-lapse photography of the flowers coming up in the spring. Have you ever seen that where the, the, it comes up and as the sun's moving across the sky, the, the flowers tilting to get as much sun as it possibly can get, to get as much blessing from the Word of God as it possibly can get. We are to incline our hearts to the Lord and to His Word. Our hearts should bend away from the world and say, give me Jesus. This disposition of heart will best orient us toward putting away false foreign gods and to pursue the living 
God. And there's this glorious passage of Scripture in 24.15. If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, Joshua says, we will serve the Lord. Don't you love that verse? My mom and dad have on their front door of their house uh, uh, a knocker, one of those metal door knockers, a brass door knocker that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I always love whenever I visit seeing that door knocker and it's such a testimony to my mom and dad and the grace of God in their lives and their heart like Joshua to display that type of conviction that we are going to serve the Lord in this house. And do everything we can to have our children and our grandchildren serve the Lord and do everything we can to assist them in their faith. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for your example. Me, I want to be like that. The conviction, the conviction that Joshua displays in this verse, it really is an example for all of us to follow. He declares, we will serve the Lord. What a great thing for a man to say. What a manly thing. There is nothing better than a man can say. And how glorious it would be for every man to set an example in the church like this. A man standing up in his family as, a, as its representative and saying, this is a glorious thing. And the men and women who glorify God most in Scripture and in the history of the church were those who held such conviction. People of Israel, you, you do what you want. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you go off and serve false gods, I'm not going to allow that to stop me from having this conviction. This is the direction we're going. I love that. I love that. Reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3 saying to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, well, if you deliver, if, if God delivers us, that's great. Even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow, Nebuchadnezzar. So turn up the furnace seven times hotter than it normally is. That's fine. We'll go in the fire. And if God takes us home to be with Jesus, great. But you know what? Our God's able to deliver us. And that conviction led to those three Hebrew young men seeing, as Nebuchadnezzar testified, one like the son of the gods is in the fire dancing with them. Urgh, can't wait to get to Daniel with you. Their conviction was that even if it meant death, they were not going to bow down to the false god that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Let us be of the same spirit. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.12, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul knew Jesus and was convinced of who he is. And therefore he was not ashamed. Being not ashamed of the gospel flows out from you being convinced this is the way I'm meant to live. We're not looking for those in the church who just simply just want to say, well, yeah, I believe with just sort of this, I don't know, maybe not, maybe he really has risen from the dead, maybe he hasn't. No, 
Listen, put all that behind you today and stay like Joshua. As for me and my house, as for me and my future house, I and we are going to serve the Lord. And bring that type of passion, men, to your children and to your wife and let them see that fire in your eyes. Moms, have that kind of fire and passion in your heart. It will make a difference. What the church today needs is men, women, and children who will lay hold of God with intense passion, deep faith, and say to the world, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What the church needs is for men and women and children to be thoroughly convinced, persuaded, as the scriptures say, and resolved that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. So in this world, as everybody's saying, all paths lead to heaven. You stand up like the lone light in the darkness and say, no, that's not true. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He is the only way. And willing to stand in and take the heat for it in your school. And willing to take the heat at your job. Willing to be called intolerant and unloving and filled with hate speech. No, you are full of love, friend. You're the only one that is loving this world. Don't back off in your firm resolve and in your conviction to stand. Let there be a single-minded passion to serve Christ. He is the very best of lords and very best of masters, isn't he? There's no one more worthy of such commitment, of such faith, of such service as our Lord Jesus Christ who laid his life down for us. And so may all of us rise up with Joshua-like conviction and tell the world and tell the church, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And let that mark your life. I love um, Agent Carter from the Captain America Civil War movie, who in her conviction said this, even if everyone's telling you that something wrong is something right, even if the whole world is telling you to move, It is your duty to plant yourself like a tree. Look them in the eye and say, no, you move. You're not budging me off of God. You're not budging me off of his word. I love you too much than to budge. Ah, the world needs young men and young women to come to that kind of resolve. Young men and women, we are depending, humanly speaking, upon you. To have this kind of resolve so that you can lead all of us. As we're not getting a day younger around here. And I love what Charles Spurgeon says in this resolve. I think you'll like this. I have faith in the Lord Jesus for myself. A faith burned into me as with a hot iron. I thank God what I believe I shall believe. Even if I believe it alone. Who's got that? We need this. Not a wishy-washy faith. It's just like not willing to stick its neck out for Jesus. Loves everything else in the world. And just is living pretty much practically fully for the world. No difference between them and the world. And, and, And saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus. No, we need young men and young women and men and women to rise up and say what I believe. I shall believe, even if I believe it alone. Even if my mom and dad walked away from Jesus, I'm still following him. 
And God is always faithful to His promises. He set His people up in the promised land. And you want to know an example? Joshua is an example of not just speaking these words, but living it. Because at the end of Joshua chapter 24, when it's talking about Joshua's death, guess what title's given to him in 29? Look at that. The servant of the Lord. Oh, let that be our ambition. Let that be our desire. For people to say at our funeral, he was a servant of the Lord. Oh, there's nothing better that they could say. (laughs) Let that be our resolve and our desire. Let us believe so strongly. You know, another example in this, often kind of you just blow past it. How about Joseph? I am so certain that God's going to deliver us out of slavery in Egypt, even though we haven't even entered into slavery yet. We're going to be 400 years into it. I believe that promise he made to my father Abraham. I am so resolved that I am giving you instructions. Take my bones up out of Egypt and take them into the promised land with you and bury me in this grave that we had bought all these years prior because now it's going to be our possession. That's faith. The kind of faith that says, hey, here's instruction for my bones. God's going to deliver us. Think of how the people of Israel throughout those 400 years groaning in slavery could look to the bones of Joseph and even as that man was dead he still speaketh. Remember, my bones aren't always going to remain here in Egypt. When we come up and out, you take me with you. Here he's getting buried in the promised land. God's awesome. God's faithful, brothers and sisters. And listen, if all I had to tell you this morning is to credit God, fear God, and choose God, those would be three moral principles that all three of all of us in this room have all failed at already. And all of us, none of us would go to heaven. We would all fall short because we've all fallen short. But there is one who never failed to credit God, never failed to perfectly fear God, and never failed in that Joshua-like resolve to say, I am going to serve the Lord. And that is the servant of the Lord. Mentioned in Isaiah 42, our Lord and Savior, our suffering servant, Jesus Christ. As the words of prophecy were coming forward this morning about the battlefield, I thought to myself, there is one who walks on the battlefield after all had been slain. And that is our victorious conqueror, Jesus Christ. He is not going to let you fall. He's not going to let you fail. He's going to hold on to you and never let you go. And every one of us in here would sink into the abyss forever in hell had it not been for His perfection. Walking in these things. He is the true Israel, the true Joshua. Who died on the cross as a pure spotless lamb and who willingly shed his blood and sacrificed everything to pay for your sins and mine for where we've fallen short in this call. That's the only reason 
any of us in this room are going to be in heaven. It's because of Jesus and what he did. Have you believed in him? Don't you love him? You're going to see his face. And when you see his face, when you get to heaven, all your problems are forever going to be behind you and you'll never have another one again. So hang in there. Know that he loves you. Know that he's going to hold on to you and hold you fast. And let us walk together, church. Let us be a true church and inspire one another to this Christ-like conviction to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If I could have Tom and Jill come forward, they're going to sing a special song for us about the joy it's going to be when we see the Lord's face. And so, let us all meditate on the truths that are sung to us as Tom and Jill service together. Though the dark is overwhelming and the brightest lights grow dim, though the word of God is trampled on by foolish men though the wicked never stumble and abound in every place we will all be humbled when we see your face and the demons we
together in your arms of endless grace as your bride forever as your bride Your faith.